So I'm in a series on why God ordained the family. But I'm going to go a different direction today than I have the last several weeks. Read with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32. And I've capitalized some of the words that you'll see. This is from the New Living Translation. I capitalized them to get your attention focused on a couple of, of things that I want to point out to you. Paul says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. And to every guest that is here, bless you and thank you for coming. And this is what I pray for you. I could spend next year in its entirety speaking on just that one phrase. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. Boy, living is not easy these days. You can have some struggles. And listen, he goes on. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man, are you listening, guys? Has, I've capitalized that to think about it, his earthly responsibilities. Guys, turn to one another if you're married and say, you have some earthly responsibilities. He has to. It's not an option. Come on, ladies, nudge him in the ribs if he's not cooperating. He has to think about his earthly responsibilities. And ladies, you're going to love this one. How to please his wife. That's in your Bible, guys. Verse 34 says his interests are divided. <laughs> Does that, doesn't that sound just like the man you're living with? Hold on, ladies. In the same way, now guys, it's your turn. A woman who is no longer married, who has never been married, can be devoted to the Lord in holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. Oh, come on, guys. Where's the amen when you need it? And then Paul says, I am saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. Wow. For our benefit. Because most people grew up like I did, believing the Bible was all about a bunch of rules and regulations that brought restrictions. So that's not what this is about. This is freeing you to enjoy the life you were meant to live. And he says, I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. If it weren't for the distractions... Distractions over here. Distractions over there. What I could do for God. What I could do for my family. What I could do in business if it weren't for the distractions. The scripture makes it clear that a marriage is supposed to be a life-giving arrangement. But for it to be that both parties, that is the husband and the wife, these verses and the parts of them that I've capitalized indicate that we're to think about pleasing our companion more than pleasing ourselves. And that goes counter to the culture we live in. I want to marry this girl because she makes me feel so good inside. Or I want to marry this man because when I am with him, boy, I feel special. That's the wrong basis for a relationship because it's what you're getting 
out of that relationship that you're attracted to. The biblical principle is it's really more blessed to give than it is to receive. And Paul said, husband, you've got to please that wife. And wife, you've got to please that husband. Now, I know I just lost <laughs> the entire congregation, so amen. Get back in the boat. We're going to all journey through this together, okay? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you will speak to us this morning and let your word impact our hearts and our lives in a way that will be transformational. Help us to experience the process of metamorphosis that transitions us, changes us completely from who we once were to who your word says we can be. We can't do it within ourselves, but your word contains the power of transformation. Let it work within us, I ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. I want to teach something today that I think families have forgotten. And because they have, they are no longer able to teach what I am going to talk about. Can't teach it to your young people, can't teach it to your children, can't teach it to your grandchildren. And you could even be sitting here today wondering why I'm going to speak on this topic in a room that is... Well, how many married folk do we have? Would you, would you just raise your hands? Look at the hands going up. You might wonder why I've chosen a subject on a Sunday morning to speak on when we have so many married people in the house, and because I will be directing my remarks to people who are not married primarily, but not all together. Truth is, the message will benefit you, whether you're married, single, young, old, Married and wish you had never been. <laughs> Single and wish you were married. Single and never want to get into that thing called marriage. <laughs> Doesn't matter. If you are in a marriage that is broken, it can help transform that relationship into one that is successful and mutually beneficial. If you're a grandparent, if you're a parent, this message is especially important to you because I'm going to teach something that will help you equip your children. My subject this morning is single on purpose with purpose. Single on purpose with purpose. Not single because of circumstances. And not single aimlessly wandering around until I can find somebody else to hook up with. Single on purpose with purpose. You need to teach every young person that this is who they are. You're single on purpose with purpose until God changes your status. You might even wonder why I'm teaching this, but there's two most foundational things that are brought out in this, these verses that I've read that contribute to happiness are number one, relationship with God. Paul said, I don't want you to be hindered. This is for your benefit. I'm teaching you something that will help you. That's what he said. And he talked about the relationship with God that a single person has the opportunity to be devoted to the Lord. But then he goes on to talk about marriage. And marriage is a complex situation. Because when you get into relationships, you've got to begin to understand the things that motivate other people. And just very, very frankly, today's society does not teach either of the two topics that I've just mentioned. How to have a relationship with God or... <laughs> How to engage in meaningful, lasting relationships with other people. What society teaches you is that money, fun, possessions, 
sex, fame, careers, parties, travel, cars, houses, and a host of other things can bring you happiness. And you have people that are powerful in the business world and have built great companies but can't keep a marriage together, been married four or five times. Same thing with Hollywood celebrities, political figures. Here's the problem. You can't teach what you don't know. First law of impartation is such as I have, give I unto thee. I can't give you what I do not possess. I can't share understanding if I don't have any myself. Building lasting relationships, would everybody agree with me, is a challenge. It isn't easy in today's me-centered, selfie-driven world, is it? I don't want to take a picture of you. I want to take a picture of me with you. It's an important distinction. Think about it. You're a celebrity. I don't want to take your picture and say, guess who I saw? I want to take a picture of me with you so that I elevate myself at the same time and show all my friends the special moment that I've had. Amen. People have this idealistic dream of falling in love, living happily ever after, riding off into the purple sunset. And then discover that their Prince Charming was really Jason from Friday the 13th. (laughs) Or their their Cinderella was actually the Wicked Witch of the East. Like one t-shirt a lady was wearing, I used to think you were my happily ever after, and now I realize you were only my once upon a time. Amen. (laughs) Or like one man told his unmarried friend, love may be blind, but marriage is a real eye opener. (laughs) You send your kids to school to get an education. We teach them science, math, geography, and sometimes history, which I think is crazy. We ought to teach history. Then we send them to university to get a degree in fine arts or law or even medical school or whatever else they choose to study. But have you noticed I don't care which university it is, you will not find in that university's catalog of available courses a course on how to have a relationship with God. Nor will you find a degree offered, a degree path offered on how to have successful relationships. Those two things are foundational to everything else you do, and yet nobody talks about it. So you can be a senator or a movie star. You can be a banker or an astronaut and cannot keep a relationship going because you don't know how to be the kind of husband or wife that you're supposed to be. The result is you end up old and lonely. Look at some of your relatives. (laughs) Old, lonely, and cantankerous. Can I throw that one in? Did you hear about the old man who went into a singles bar and sat down next to a beautiful woman and smiled at her and said, tell me, baby, do I come here often? (laughs) So old, he didn't even know how often he went there. You don't want to be like that. Old and senile and lonely. Here's an idea. Wouldn't it be great if universities offered degrees in how to have a relationship with God and how to build relationships with other people 
by professors that actually understood those two subjects. To become a licensed electrician or other craftsman, you got to go, you got to study, you got to become an apprentice, you spend years learning your craft, you have to pass an examination before you get your journeyman's card. Even to get a driver's license, for heaven's sakes. you got to spend hours behind the wheel. If you're a teenager, you got to take driver's ed or all this other stuff. And you spend hours and hours. you got to memorize what the symbols are so you can pass your, your written test and, and all of that just to be able to turn a steering wheel and step on an accelerator and a brake. But to get married... <laughs> All you got to do is be able to find the front door of the courthouse. (laughs) No special skills required. As far as building a relationship with God, schools and universities won't touch that with a 10-foot pole. But listen to what the Bible said. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. All has been heard. The end of the matter is fear God. Revere and worship him knowing that he is, which is what fear means. It's not that, oh, I'm scared to death. It means reverence. And keep his commandments, for this is the whole of man, the full original purpose of his creation, the object of God's providence, the root of character, the foundation of all happiness, the adjustment to all inharmonious circumstances and conditions under the sun. And the whole duty for every man. There it is right there. The foundation. Right there in your Bible. The very, as it were, thing that you will build the structure of your life upon. When God gets ready to do something, he doesn't start with a penthouse. He starts with a foundation. You were created to know God and you were created to be in relationship with other people. But I'm talking about being single on purpose with purpose. So let me begin by pointing out something that is true about any area of life. And that is this. Principle number one. How you see something determines how you treat it or act toward it. If you honor it and respect it, you treat it differently. If you value it, you treat it differently than if it has no value. And I want you, if you're here today and you're single... Once was married, single again. If you're a grandparent or a parent, teach your kids what I'm about to say right now. That being single is a valuable time in their life. 1 Corinthians 7 and 32, an unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. Verse 33, a woman who is no longer married, who has never been married, can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. If you're single and you're hating every day of it and dreading to go to bed at night and dreading to get up in the morning and single, I'm single, I'm miserable, I'm miserable, how you view your status will determine how you treat or act towards your status. Amen. You won't value it if you feel the way I've just described. Boudreaux, okay? If you're visiting with us, I'm Cajun, so I can tell my Boudreaux jokes. Boudreaux lived alone and had a dog that he was very, very close to, old Shep, and the dog died. And Boudreaux was grief-stricken, and he went to the priest, and he asked the priest if he would conduct a funeral service for old Shep. And the priest was mortified. I can't believe that you would even suggest such a thing. This church is sacred. This is the house of God. It's a place of worship, a place of honor and dignity, a place of awe. We can't possibly... 
demean the house of God by doing such a thing. It would be sacrilegious. And the priest told Boudreaux, what you ought to do is go down the street to that spirit-filled church. They do stuff there that we don't do here and ask them to do the service. And Boudreaux thought about it and scratched his head. He said, you know, I'll do that, Father. But he said, I don't want to offend them. And I'm not sure how much I should offer them to do the service. Do you think $50,000 would be enough to bury old Shep? And the priest's jaw fell open. And after he recovered from the shock, he said, my son, why didn't you tell me that old Shep was a Catholic dog? You treat something a whole lot different when you value it. If you see your life as dull and meaningless, you treat it that way. If you see your time as important, you treat it that way too. Amen. That's true about relationships. It's true about your wife. If you, you call her the old lady. You call him the old man. I've never liked that. I won't call my wife the old lady. You shouldn't do that. You honor the person that you're with. Amen. But if you don't honor them, you will not treat them the way that they deserve to be treated. Amen. But if you honor them, it's different. A guy approached a very beautiful woman in a large supermarket. And he said, you know, I've lost my wife in here and I've looked for her and I can't find her. Will you talk to me just for a couple of minutes? And the lady was startled and asked why. And the man said, because every time I talk to a beautiful woman, my wife magically materializes right beside me. <laughs> it's like a zing. Amen. This principle is equally true about how you perceive single life. If you're hating it, you will not value it. Folks always assume in today's culture that if you're single, you're dying to get married. I want to say right now, stop. Don't let that be your attitude. Amen. Don't let it be. When God does something, he acts in regard to the importance and significance of priorities. And so that is to say, if something matters to God, he's going to take the time to do it right. He creates the foundation first. Then he builds on the foundation. Being single is your opportunity to put inside of your life the foundational principles that will cause you to succeed in everything else you do in life. Amen. Being single means you're significant by yourself. Adam was created intentionally by God without Eve being there. Because God wanted the man to be complete by himself. And that also applies to the woman. And just frankly, there are many benefits to being single. <laughs> Everybody always emphasizes the liabilities. But when you're single, you get to come and go as you please. You don't have to answer to anybody. You have anybody calling call you saying, where are you at? Because you're five minutes late. You want to go to church three nights a week? You don't have anybody saying, you're going to church again? Being single is less costly than raising a family. Sure it is. Amen. Unless you're single with a family, then that's challenging. You'll usually have more income. You can pay for your own house. Amen. Buy a house. Pay for it. Get it done. Let's move on. 
Principle number two, it takes two whole people to make one whole relationship. Not this half and this half. Don't call somebody your better half. A lot of guys introduce their wives that way. This is my better half. A lot of women do the same. Or in some circumstances, I've heard them, this is my bitter half. Just (laughs) whispered where nobody can hear it. Amen. Two people get married, they become one. Unfortunately, they spend several years trying to figure out which one. Amen. It's the truth. Marriage is a compromise. Am I right? Come on, guys. The husband admits he's wrong and the wife agrees with him. It's a compromise. You might be single, but are you ready to mingle? It takes two whole people to make one whole relationship. When you're single, you're not three quarters of a person. You're not five eighths of a person. God created Adam whole by himself. And here's why this is important. Only God can complete what is missing in you. And how many marriages have been wrecked because someone gets married thinking that person's going to fill up what's empty in me. They can't. Only God can. If you're trying to make your companion do that, stop. Seek God. Amen. Seek God. Number three, being single means you're strong enough to wait for who you deserve. There was a reason, as I said, that God created Adam single. And then notice that he waited for God to bring him his mate. For God to bring him. Bring him. This is not going to be too popular. But you need to let God bring your companion to you. And I don't mean this unkindly. But some of us have been through broken relationships. And we've already figured out we can't do too good a job on our own. Don't you as a single person make that mistake. Amen. How about this Christmas carol for singles? Single bells, single bells. Single all the way. Oh, what fun it is to see couples fight all day. Hey! (laughs) You don't want that to be your life. Being single is a time to get over past hurts and dysfunction, disappointments and trust issues. Whether they came from your childhood or a relationship that was not healthy, get over that. Because if you carry that into a new relationship, it's going to hurt. I've often said that when someone is hurt in a relationship, the person who hurt you is not the one who pays the price. It's the one who follows you. They pay the price for everything you did wrong. You'll pay the price in your own way further down the road. But to make a relationship work, you've got to learn to let go of the past. Just tell somebody, let it go, let it go. Because you'll get frozen if you don't. Stuck. Amen. You ever had a bunch of stuff in your closet you needed to get rid of? Anybody other than me? You got some stuff in your closet right now that you need to give to the Salvation Army. You've got some stuff in your 
internal emotional closet you need to give up too. Get rid of it. Number four, while you are single, you can and should be devoted to the pursuit of God. Look again at what the Apostle Paul says. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 32, the be close. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. When you have three kids at home and a wife that needs a new dress, you can't go off on a missions trip and take the money that you could have put into something like that. You've got to take care of your homework. 1 Corinthians 7.33, again the B clause, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. And then 1 Corinthians 7.35, I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. When you get married, you're going to have some distractions. I wish I could get a better amen. Yeah. You're going to have some distractions. You got some stuff you need to take care of at home. Your husband wants you to. Your wife wants you to. Look, I spent years, Jerry and I did, preaching every night all across this nation, 19 years as an evangelist. And she loves the word and loves to read and is a student of the Bible. But there's times I go home, honey, put that book up. We got some homework. And you can figure out what that is all by yourself. How you spend your time as a single person is very important. You got time to do all kind of stuff. You can take a Spanish language course. Yeah. Go back to school. Get an education. Get a degree. When you have kids, a wife that needs to go to the movies, and you got to go home and fix supper and, you know, all this other stuff. You have some distractions. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. Paul knew what he was talking about when he wrote this because Paul was once Saul. And you remember who Saul was? He was the young man that got letters and had believers apprehended and stoned to death like Stephen. And they laid the clothes at his feet because he was the guy organizing the charge. You know who Paul, Saul, really was? He was a member of the Sanhedrin court, the council of 70 elders for the nation of Israel. Did you know that their law would not allow a man to be a member of the Sanhedrin unless he was married? Which means that Paul, Saul, was married. You say, what about that verse where he writes, Do not I have the power to lead about a wife like Simon Peter is doing, for example? Yeah, that happened after he got converted, became a believer. He was once a member of the Sanhedrin, meaning he was married. You dig into that deeper and you find out that he's single now, but he wasn't always. And in fact, the reason some historians say that he became singles, his wife left him because she was the daughter-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest. The daughter, rather, of Caiaphas, the high priest. He was the son-in-law of the high priest and could have become the high priest a little further down the road. She left him because he became converted. Paul knew what it was like. And he's writing from having experience on both sides of the fence. Once you're in a committed relationship, rather than seeing someone or in a marriage, just as Paul tells us, you will need to be interested 
and your earthly responsibilities. I want to say this phrase and I want you to hear me. In fact, say it out loud with me. While you are single, just say that. While you are single, your life is not on hold. Say that. It's not. Use that time wisely. Go learn Spanish. Get another degree. Go to school. Pay for your house. Pay it off. Amen. Build your career. Learn to walk with God. Be a whole person. Then when God sends somebody your way, you can make a go of it. And also keep yourself pure. For he goes on to say in verse 8 and 9, So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to, to stay and marry just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. Don't allow your flesh to overcome you. Yeah, marriage is honorable. The bed is undefiled. The Bible says that. But what God gives as a gift in marriage becomes a curse out of marriage. Principle five, and I'm about done. Don't allow being single to cause you to be down on yourself. Because that does happen to a lot of people. How many people do you know went through a relationship that was devastating? There's some in this church going through it right now. And because somebody rejects you, you take it personal and ask, what did he see in her that wasn't in me? And you begin to compare. And what does she see in him that I didn't have? And the next thing you know, you're beating yourself up and you're down on yourself. And if you let that keep going that direction, you know what? You push an aura. Have you ever seen a tugboat going up the intercoastal canal or the shipping channel? It pushes a wave. And when you are down on yourself, you push an aura around you that says, I'm unattractive. I'm down on myself. I don't have value. And you know what that does? It pushes people the other direction. People say, "Uh uh-oh, here they come. Let's go. Amen. What you need to do is be up on yourself. I need somebody to say, I matter to God. Would you do that? Don't sit around hitting the rewind button and playing every mistake over and over and the hurt and the pain. Oh, oh. And you just live through that again and again. You'll, you'll, you know what you'll do? You'll, you'll sink yourself into a pit of depression so deep you can't hardly get out of it. You say, man, I can't help myself. Yes, you can. Change your thoughts and you will change your life. It's hard. I know it's hard. Especially when you've been disappointed and your heart has been broken. Yes, it's painful. But don't sit around hitting the rewind button. Principle number six. While you are single, learn who you are in Christ. And let me just say this. Wounded people go around and they need titles to hide behind. It's amazing. It really is. I meet people all the time that are self-called, self-appointed, self-designated, self-voted on, apostle, bishop, this, that. I'm serious. I had a guy one time tell me he pastored 13 people, but he was apostle and bishop so-and-so. And no disrespect. 
But if you need a title, that tells me something about you. And not only does it tell me something, it tells everybody else around you. So don't go around if you're single saying, I'm the prophetess, I'm prophet, I'm this, that. Leave the titles at home. Can I hear somebody say amen? Leave the titles at home. Because when you carry a title like that, I'm apostle, prophet, so-and-so, what you're saying is, I am wounded and needy. Would you come heal me? I'm telling you the truth. I told you that every Saturday when I fly in, and it happened yesterday, I've got to have meetings, either directly meetings in person or on the phone about the new building because they're making design changes. Steps have to be taken as we go along the way. Final, Not even changes. I mean, final decisions on things. And they ask me, what do you want to put on all of the pastor's doors? Because some of us have multiple titles. I have never in my life asked anybody to call me bishop, apostle. I get to call both all the time. But I've never had anybody call me that. Not, uh, I never ask anybody to. I, I never ask anybody to call me reverend. Never ask anybody to call me pastor. That's my title. But if you choose to honor me, that is your decision. I can't ask you to honor me. I hope I'm making sense. I cannot ask you to honor me. That is not godly humility. Think about it. The great apostle Paul was known as <gasps> Paul. <laughs> and the Lord Jesus Christ, creator of worlds, was known as Jesus. What right do I have to demand titles when our Savior is just known by his name? And you see, when it comes to Christ, that's what real worship is. Real worship is not a sense of obligation. It's a sense of the awe and the majesty of who he is and our response to his majesty. Similarly, when you meet somebody, they should never demand that you recognize them by their title. If they have served in a position and done so, and they're worthy of honor, and you give that to them, it is the response that you have to them, not your response to their demand. Somebody in the building needs to say, that's right. Leave the titles at home. So back to the doors, because some of us have multiple titles, like Dr. Robert Pace. He has an earned doctorate. And counseling. He's also a counselor. So what do you put on his door? Dr. Robert Pace? Counseling? He's also a pastor. Pastor Dr. Robert Pace. Counselor Robert. <laughs> what do you put on my door? <laughs> Senior pastor Dr. Richard Hurd. So, uh, appointed by God. Chosen since the world began. <laughs> That's not what I'm into. If you choose to show me or this staff honor, I want to thank you for that because I appreciate it more than I can ever tell you, but I will never ask or demand that you show us honor. I can't do that. If a person is worthy of honor, that's what the scripture said, worthy of honor, then you show them honor. And we live in a day and age when people are demanding honor and there's so much dishonor in the world. Can I talk to you right now? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. 
And people will try to tear you apart too in the world we live in and strip all honor because it's a day and age when people don't know how to show honor. So I've been called apostle, pastor, reverend, bishop, rich. I've also been called hey you and a few other names I won't mention from this pulpit. Amen. Learn who you are in God. Principle number six, while you are single, learn who you are in Christ. That's what I was talking about. Inside of Saul was Paul. Inside of Jacob was Israel. And here's the key. I want everybody to say this. I have an identity. Say that. And then say this. I have a revelational identity. Your identity and your revelational identity may be two different things. You have to learn how to integrate those two things. You, life may have told you you're stupid, you're dumb, you're whatever, you're this. You, that's your identity that you carry. Your revelational identity is before I formed you in your mother's belly, I knew you and I ordained you. You have value. Amen. It's a tragedy that so many people have never learned their revelational identity. And I want to tell you where you discover your revelational identity. It's when you have an encounter with God. Both Saul on the Damascus Road and Jacob at Bethel encountered God. And that's when they discovered their revelational identities. Principle number seven, and I'm done with this. As a single person, seek to discover your calling, not just your revelational identity, but your calling. And then when the time comes, find someone who you can help or who will help you fulfill your calling. Take the time out to find what you're called to do. I'm going to ask a question right now, and I'm very, very serious. How many in this building, other than than being just a church member and a child of God, have found out what your calling from God is in life? Would you raise your hand? That's what I thought. Most people have not. God has a calling on your life. You're not here by accident. We'll never forget as long as I live. Steve, were you here at that time Bob Weiner came? And he stood on the platform. Bob is little... He's, he's Jewish. Bob Weiner stands about this high, just loves God, full of the Holy Spirit. And he shouted out this question. How many of you here today are in full-time ministry? Stand. And the, church, the, the staff stood up. The pastoral staff. And he said, no, you're mistaken. He said, every one of you are in full-time ministry. You were all called by God. You may be working a job to support your calling, but you're all called by God. Don't say you're not called. Say, I haven't discovered my calling yet. And when you're single, you can do that. When you're married, it becomes a lot harder. And what happens if you discover your calling after you get married? And your spouse discovers theirs. And that is to go that direction, and that one is to go this you got conflict. It reminds me of the old story I've told you before, the prayer line, where everybody's coming up to be prayed for by the prophet. And the prophet laid his hands on one lady and said, thus says the Lord, God's calling you to be a missionary to India. And she was so excited. person after her was a man, laid his hands on him and said, thus says the Lord, the Lord is calling you to be a prophet to China. And the man said, wait a minute. 
That's my wife you just said that was called to India and you're calling me to China. The prophet said, hold on just a minute, let me pray again. He said, thus says the Lord. He's calling both of you to be missionaries to Indochina. Amen. I see people whose marriages are torn apart because one is pulling this direction and the other is going that. And marriage is supposed to be complementary. God gives you a help and meet. That's what he did for Adam. Someone to help you with your call. Ladies, you're to help your husband. Men, you're to help your wife. Compliment each other. Don't fight and pull opposite directions. Listen to what Paul said, 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness. And of course, that application we immediately know that he's talking about being married to an unbeliever. You don't want to marry an unbeliever. Trust me. <laughs> well, I'll just say a few things. I'm going to just pass right over that. You know where this text actually comes from? It comes from the Levitical law in the Old Testament where God said, don't you yoke an ox on one side of the yoke and a donkey on the other. Anybody remember the movie Shrek where Eddie Murphy played the part of the donkey? Donkey's always hopping around everywhere. That's a donkey. It moves at a faster gait. You know what the ox does? Slow, methodical. When you put them together, One is constantly trying to drag the other, and the other is always holding back the one that's trying to go faster. And that is a recipe for misery. Stop trying to drag your husband or wife. And a holy hush. Settled in the house of God. Pray for him. Stop trying to be the Holy Spirit. Hello, can I talk to you? Stop trying to be God in your marriage. You're not. You weren't yesterday. You're not today. And you're not going to be tomorrow. And you know what God does when you try to be God? He just steps back and lets you go ahead and try it. Amen. Paul actually is expanding this principle. Don't be unequally yoked. Is not just about unbelievers marrying believers, but it is also, listen to this, about people marrying somebody of different persuasions in terms of, say like, just, can I just be real with you and just get real, real candid with you? Somebody has great Christian character and ethics in their business person, and they get connected to a business person that has none and will steal and make business deals on the, ma- on the basis of expediency and opportunity. They're an opportunist. You don't want to be in a, a, a business partnership with somebody like that. I promise you, you don't. They're trying to drag you into stuff that you don't want to get into. Can I hear an amen in the house? I'm done. I see it all the time in ministry. This one wants to do this. This one wants to do that. And they're fighting and pulling. And neither one of them are doing any good. And this one is actually canceling out the effectiveness of this one. And this one is canceling out the effectiveness of this one. When if they would work together as a team, they could be so powerful for God. Amen. Stand with me.
I'd like to pray with you if you'd come and join me this morning at the altar. Being single is an opportunity. It's not a curse. It's not a curse. Parents, grandparents, remember this. Being single is not a problem. It's not a curse. Number two, if you're single, use this time as God meant for it to be used. Be single on purpose with purpose. Say that. Be single on purpose. With That was only a few of you. Join me and, and say it one more time. Be single on purpose with purpose. You're a parent or grandparent, and you have entrusted to you children, grandchildren, teenagers, young adults, millennials. God's placed them in your life. Teach them to use their time of being single properly. It is an incredible opportunity. It is the foundation for the rest of your life. And now I want to close with these, these final remarks as we pray. I wonder how many in this building never learned any of the things that I'm talking about. Don't have to raise your hand. But you didn't learn these things while you were coming up. Now you're married. And your marriage suffers because you haven't learned the things that I've been talking about this morning. And I I don't want you to leave your companion. God knows that would not be the will of God. Okay, I'm going to leave my companion and I'm going on and and I'm going to learn to do it right. And then I'll go find... No, that's not what you want to do. That's like throwing a grenade in your, your present family and bodies, parts being ripped to pieces. And so now you're going to go try to fix that by doing it better the second time around? No. I also want to acknowledge that there are families, there are people here who have been through the trauma of separation and divorce. And my heart aches for you. And the comments that I've made today about being single, I know some of you are single again. Again. Don't let those issues identify you. Don't let them make you become down on yourself, as I said earlier. There's so many things we ought to pray about. Father, I pray right now for this congregation, these wonderful people that you have entrusted and made a part of this church family. And God, I ask this in the name of Jesus. Lord, those things that we might not have learned, because I didn't learn them. I didn't have anybody to teach me these things when I was growing up. God, I'm asking you to help us to learn them now. I thank you for a patient wife that stood right by me while I was learning the things I should have already carried into that relationship but did not. And God, I'm asking you to heal families. There are families right now that are being torn apart because some of these things were not learned. And God, would you bring healing to those homes and to those lives? I ask it for your glory. For every young man, every young person, every young lady in this building, I'm asking you to help them as well. Learn these things now. Use the time of their singleness properly. Help them to be single with purpose as well as being on purpose, Lord. That is to say, not running to look for the first relationship they can get into, but make them godly. Make them strong. Let them have a relationship with God. Let them learn how to build lasting relationships with people to become the kind of godly companion that someone will someday want to be married to and be happy to be married to.